Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. Exodus chapter 6, and we just finished. Well, let's just go back to verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion, or literally in the Hebrew, that means strong arm in the Hebrew. Under compulsion, under a strong arm, he will let them go. And under a strong arm or compulsion, he will drive them out of this land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton. Turn me down a little bit. I'm getting feedback up here, Alex. I'm not sure why. Uh, I did not make myself known to them. And we spent three weeks going over the name of God. Not only God the Father, which is Yahweh, but God the Son, which is what? Yeshua. And God, Yah, that's the short for Yahweh. It's very important. And we talked about the power in the name of Jesus Christ. The power in the name of our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. And now we continue our great adventure. Finally, verse (laughs) 4. I also establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourn. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because of the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land which I swore, literally in the Hebrew, I swore there means to raise your hand. You ever go to court where you have to raise your hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Even back then, they did that, and God did this here. It's not, I swore, literally in the Hebrew, it's to extend one's hand in a promise, in a covenant, to give Abraham. By the way, who's the descendant spiritually of Abraham right now? Those of the faith. Absolutely. Continue on, Isaac and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord, and all capital L-O-R-D is what? The Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, that's Yahweh. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel. Oh, but what did they do? But they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Do you know, as Christians, we have many promises in this book. Yet so many Christians never hold to the promises of God in this book. And Israel always is an example of what we would do. You know, God promised Israel he did all these miracles, and consistently they didn't trust God. They didn't hold to loving God. Someone asked why we study the Old Testament this past week. Uh, I was talking to him about today's message, which, by the way, God changed a little bit last night because we were going to get into the genealogy in the middle of this text. 
But really what they wanted to know is why would you study the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament? What do people say when you're witnessing is a what? Cruel, unloving, mean, unjust, unfair God. You know, I always say, really, you think that's true? You know, if you had the ability right now to wipe out ISIS completely, completely wipe them out, would you do it? Oh, yeah, every nation in the world is trying to do that. The nations that God in the Old Testament said, go kill them all. To the Assyrians, don't leave anyone alive. There was a reason, folks, they had to be worse than ISIS. Does that make sense? Because God's character is what? Love. Mercy, grace, throughout the Bible, old and new, God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even in the Old Testament, folks, Abraham in Genesis believed God, had faith in God, and it was accounted unto him as what? Righteousness. What about us? How do we get righteousness? By all our good works? No, we have faith in Christ, and it's accounted unto us as righteousness imputed righteousness yeah so we stand why study the old testament the old testament was the bible of jesus in fact he probably read from the septuagint which is the greek version of the old testament hebrew it's interesting i would encourage you as you study the old testament read the septuagint alongside our masoretic text it is a lot older and it, it's and every quote in the new testament guess what it's from the Septuagint. That's the Bible that Jesus quoted, read, memorized, taught from. It pointed to him as Messiah. Over 300 direct prophecies about who Messiah would be pointed to Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this, verse 17, Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments in the law and the prophets and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of God. Guess what? They still make it. They still make it to heaven because we're saved simply by what? Faith in Jesus Christ, not by works of the law, lest any man boast. But we as teachers, we as people that disciple, the Old Testament is important because it points to Christ. In our text today, we're going to find some profound theological truths from that little portion of Scripture we read this morning. Continue on. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know our rewards will vary at the Bema Seat of Christ? You know, as believers, you could just simply accept Jesus Christ and then live a mundane, mediocre Christian life, never doing anything for God. You could do that. But your reward at the Bema Seat will differ from someone who sells themselves out for the kingdom of God, who does great exploits. And that can be in your job, in your family, in your, with your spouse, that could be your ministry. Do you know that? Your ministry, your whole purpose in life could be ministering to your family. It's not that you have to go out and be a great evangelist and come up here and preach or do any of that. It's being faithful with what God has entrusted you with. So I'm 
questioning now this morning you, are you faithful with the little things that God has entrusted you with? Your children, your spouse, your job, your home, your church, your family. Are you faithful in that? It's not a matter of salvation, but it is a matter of reward, and rewards will vary. Do you know the parable of the faithful servants? And the talents is one, right, to the one who built the talents, did he got more, to the one who did nothing, he, he, what, what he had was taken away. And then we have the servants who said, man, you were faithful in little, I'm going to appoint you as ruler over ten cities. And you were faithful in a little, little, I'll give you five cities. And then the one who wasn't faithful was cast out. It's blooming where you're planted. The great work of God is living life completely and utterly sold out to the kingdom of God. Sold out for the kingdom of God. All scripture is essential. That includes the Old Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is inspired or God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. I am so frustrated with the churches today that says, you know, all we do is focus on the essentials. And that's all we focus on. I always ask them, and you know what I do, could you show me what's non-essential in here so I could rip it out of my Bible and not waste my time studying it? To this day, no one's ever pointed out one thing that's not essential. It's all inspired by God and profitable so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There are more than 300 direct quotations of the Old Testament in the New if you take inference and if you take even the innuendos of the Old Testament, and by the way, you will notice almost every quote in the New Testament differs from your Old Testament a little bit. Remember why it's quoted from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, not the Masoretic text, the one that we have. More than 2,000 times the Old Testament is alluded to in the New Testament. Do you think it's important? Absolutely. Man, oh man, Paul said in Romans this, Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in earlier times, the Old Testament, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance, what's perseverance? Cheerful endurance. It's not just, woe is me, man, I'm going to endure this to the end. It is, man, God is good. He loves me, and despite the hard time I'm going through right now, man, he's going to give me the strength to endure. And you have that joy of the Lord, that fruit of the Holy Spirit, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Man, so many Christians, it, it seems, have no hope and literally have no faith in God. They go through difficulties and they get this woe is me attitude. And the question is, where is their trust and faith in God? Paul went on to say this about the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for what? Our instruction. Speaking of the Old Testament, upon whom the end of the age has come. The story of the Bible, his story. You know what his story is, right? It's the story of the gospel, Jesus Christ. His story is a redemptive story from Old to New Testament. 
It tells one essential story that God loves you, that he created mankind for relationship with him. That's why we're here. The fundamental question of all philosophy and all religion and every thinker in the world is why am I here? And the answer to that question simply is to worship and praise and engage relationship with the holy God. Yet so many Christians fail even at that. It saddens me when pastors say they pray three minutes a day and that's the extent of their prayer life. It saddens me when Christians say, I just can't get into the Word. You know, I try, but man, it's boring. It saddens me when Christians say that their prayer life really consists of praying before a meal or before bed, and that's about it. God is looking for, no, more important than that, needing a people that will seek Him with all their heart. What does the Bible say? With all their soul with all their mind, with all their strength. God desires relationship with us. That's why we're here. Folks, when we break natural laws or spiritual laws, we can't truly enjoy God or His creation. Think the whole Bible is important? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. The important stuff, this is all of it. Most of the theological truths in the Old Testament are portrayed in a story, and literally it's history, in the Old Testament. So the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt is an example of what? Absolutely. It's an example of our salvation. We were in bondage and slavery to sin, just like they were to the Egyptians. God takes us through the Red Sea. That's a type of baptism, of washing, and we become his as we sojourn to the promised land. You see, everything that occurred in the Old Testament, Paul said, was for our instruction. What happens in Exodus and the rest of the book is all about our salvation in Jesus Christ. Yet so many Christians still want to go back to Egypt. You know what I mean? Did the Israelis want to go back to Egypt? Absolutely. Man, they're in the wilderness and they're like, man, Moses, God, we want to go back to Egypt. At least we had spices for our food. Well, man, you're free. You're going to a land where you're going to form your own nation, where you can worship God and serve God, and you want to go back to being slaves? Remember just a couple of chapters ago, they were burdened and overburdened with the task of making mud bricks and building Pharaoh's empire. And they wanted to go back to Egypt, yet so many Christians have been delivered from drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, and they want to go back to Egypt. They desire that more than they desire the freedom that they have in Christ. And some Christians, by the way they live, are practical atheists. The way they pray, the way they read the word, And what they do with God, they might as well be an atheist because they rarely talk to him. For some of us, theology is simply an academic exercise. But as we read the rest of Exodus and as we get into the story, we're going to have a picture painted of our salvation. In bondage and slavery to being set free in Christ. 
It is powerful. It is marvelous how God woves it all together. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us through his son. Has Christ spoken to you this morning? Do you know God? What the Old Testament anticipates and what we're going to get into in the rest of the book of Exodus, the New Testament really demonstrates in Christ. The 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New add up to one book that is expositionally consistent. What does that mean? Yeah, it means when you analyze this book, you're not going to find any contradictions. Oh, yeah, sure, the atheists say it's filled with contradictions. Do you know they take stuff out of context to try to prove that? If you go to their website, there's no contradiction. You can tell one author wrote this book through 40 scribes. It is the word of God. It is dependable for life and godliness. The story of God who loves us and seeks to have covenant relationship with us is in the Old Testament as well as the New. It is so vitally important. Yet many of us in this room and watching online today are slaves to sin or self. This morning the text is all about the deliverance and redemption of a people. It's really all about sanctification, being saved from slavery. How would you define sanctification? Don't say it, just think about it. You're probably saying it's an ongoing process where I'm becoming more like Jesus Christ. You ever heard that definition? Okay, we're going to have to define sanctification because literally everyone teaches it is an ongoing process. And by the way, our Christian walk is a daily walk that's growing day by day. If you're not growing, you're what? Stagnant. Folks, we need to be growing in our walk day by day, but it's all about a work. The theological theme of the book of Exodus is all about having covenant relationship with God. It's all about that relationship that we personally have with the creator of the universe, that we can engage him heart to heart, mind to mind. In prayer, in reading his word, in the passage this morning, we get the promise of God's deliverance and redemption of his people from slavery. And all of us, just like the nation of Israel, were delivered from slavery to sin. Folks, if you're a slave to sin this morning, you're on dangerous ground. You've been delivered. You see, the difference between a, a child of God and someone who's still in Egypt in slavery to sin, child of God falls into sin. He doesn't practice it. Does that make sense? Now, some of you, sin is something that you practice. I would encourage you this morning, God is looking for a people that's pursuing holiness. Sanctification has that idea of being holy and set apart by and for God. We're going to talk about that because it's really interesting how these things go together. First of all, how are we sanctified? We need to really see who does the sanctification. If it's an ongoing process, and every theologian almost will tell you, hey, it's an ongoing process, it'll never be complete until what? 
the rapture, when we're glorified. 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5, though, says this, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified, past tense, by what? The Word of God and prayer. Is it important to be in the Word? Absolutely. Is it important to pray? Absolutely. Why then do so many Christians struggle with getting into the Word and with prayer? The two things that does what? Brings about our sanctification. Folks, if you are not a man or woman or young person of prayer, God hears your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking and He desires you to pray to Him, to communicate with Him. His word is how you get to know him. It's his special revelation that God himself wrote this through 40 guys. Old and New Testament, it's extremely important. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. Who's he who sanctifies there? Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, yeah, through the Holy Spirit. He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. By the way, both of these sanctifies, that's an ongoing tense. That's the work of God. Sanctified, that's us, past tense. It's a completed work. So if it's an ongoing process that won't be complete till the rapture, why in every passage where it mentions sanctification, is it always mentioned as a completed work? I'm going I'm to show you that. It gets really cool. And you have to know all about uh, Judaism and what they did with the utensils in the temple to understand what sanctification really means. Yeah. Yes, and we're constantly growing, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, but it's sanctification being set apart for God, something that occurred, and is lasting, or is it something that we lose and it gets better and gets worse? That's the question that we need to answer this morning. Our part is to be in the Word of God and pray. That's all we need to do. Holy living will result if you're a man or woman or young person of prayer. What is holy living? We're going to get there. It means to wear a robe and be saintly and never smile and sing Gregorian chant. No, I'm just kidding. It's all about the Word and prayer and the Holy Spirit. Folks, you do not sanctify yourself. If you did, it would be an ongoing process that you are working and trying to be good enough to be sanctified. But I'll never be good enough to be sanctified until the rapture. Thus, sanctification is not a completed work, but it's a progress. That's what they say. But folks, this morning, what does the Bible say? Romans 15, 16. Paul writing to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Sanctification is a work that God does in us. Just like justification, but it's different. Just like redemption, and it's pretty close to that. 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who, what? 
have been sanctified, complete. It's done in Christ, saints by calling. With all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and our sanctified literally as the idea of being redeemed. First Corinthians 6:11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Notice the progression there: washed, sanctified, justified. Do you think God intently put that progression, that order for this? Absolutely. Let me give you an example. See this cup? You can't, I had a really dirty clear cup, but I forgot to bring it up. It's downstairs somewhere. But uh, you can't see, but it's coffee stained inside. It's dirty, okay? Um, Now, if I was going to use this cup in the service of communion, Say I was going to put the communion wine in this cup. You would bring your cup and I was going to pour it out. Do you think I'd wash it first? Right? Okay, I would scrub this. I would wash it, disinfected. This thing would be sparkling. Why? Because it's going to be used to distribute communion. It's going to be washed thoroughly. And once it's washed, I, I will set this apart. Now it's at the communion table. Guess what? As soon as I set that there, what did I do to that cup? Sanctified it. Sanctification means to be set apart by and for God, to be completely and utterly devoted to God. Let me ask you, are you utterly devoted to God this morning? Raise your hand. Are you completely devoted to God? I am. I fail, but I'm devoted to him. I love him. Guess what that means? You are completely sanctified past tense. That's what it is. That is sanctified and then justified. The next one, I look at the cup before I pour the communion wine in and I say, I declare this cup clean. That's justified. The cup didn't do it. I washed it, blood of Christ. I set it apart for exclusive use by and for me, sanctification, and then I declared it righteous justification. Are you with me? Folks, legalism says sanctification is a progress that you will never achieve. The Bible says it is a completed work that Christ did by the power of the Holy Spirit to have you completely devoted to God. I get frustrated when pastors and Christians say, well, it's the process of sanctification, brother. That's why I lose my temper. That's why I'm such an ugly person, because I'm in the process of being sanctified. Oh, we'll never be sanctified until we go up in the rapture. Until then, man, I'm just a worthless sinner. Don't follow me. Yet we all should say what? Follow me as I follow Christ. We all should be pursuing holiness and righteousness. We all should be able to say, man, Come to the Lord and I'll disciple you. I will show you the way. Do what I'm doing. That's sanctification. That's set apart by and for God for exclusive use. That cup is now sanctified. Can it lose its sanctification? No. Not at all. It's already set apart. It's a completed work. That's why in the New Testament, sanctification is a completed work. How does that relate to Exodus chapter 6? 
Do you know that once the children of Israel got in that progression, t- literally does the same progression in what we uh, read. And we're going to get there really quick. We've got five minutes, seven minutes. Well, I'm going to go over. We got 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, stick with me. Hebrews 10.10 says this, By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Do you know that that applies to the word sanctification in the Greek? Even though Christ, yeah, his, his uh, death on the cross was once and for all, guess what else was? Sanctification. That's why it's always in the past tense. Notice the progression here. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, step one, and righteousness, step two, and sanctification, step three, and redemption, step four. Notice this, wisdom, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. That's the first step. You know when you lead someone to the Lord, they in their heart begin to consider maybe there is a God. And you give them the gospel message and in their heart, in the thinking that maybe there is a God, they begin to confess that, wow, man, I don't even know God. The law shows them that they are a miserable sinner. Does it still show us that? Absolutely. Look in the mirror. You can say it. Man, I'm a wretched sinner. <laughs> Lord, please cleanse me from all unrighteousness and filth. By the way, the, the more you grow in your Christian walk, your sin won't be out here. It's not going to be something you do or say. It's going to be something you think. Does that make sense? Because the more mature you get in the Lord, there's no way you're going to have an affair on your spouse. No possible way. You won't even consider that. But man, you might look at someone of the opposite sex and think, woohoo. You know, it's that sin of lust, right? But you're not going to act on that. The more mature you come in the Lord, the sin you fall into will be mainly a battle of the mind. That's why the Bible says, renew your mind. How often? And daily. Let the word of God wash your mind. Be transformed in, in your mind. It's all the transformation. So the, the wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Step one, righteousness, right standing. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. Old Testament and new, it's simply faith. So notice the progression. First, the fear of God. Hey, man, there's probably a God up there. Then what? Faith. Faith is righteousness. The minute you believe in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is imputed on you. You cannot earn God's love. You can't be good enough. His righteousness is imputed. It's given to you simply through faith. Romans 3.21, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Christ for all those who believe there is no distinction so folks man you will fail God every day it's not your righteousness that matters it's his so he gets the glory so our salvation is based simply on our receiving the free gift and in faith trusting the creator of the universe and our Lord Jesus Christ and when you trust his righteousness is imputed to you In the midst, you will fail. 
But God's righteousness is already given to you. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First Corinthians one thirty. But by his doing in Christ, what comes wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. I know this is somewhat theological sanctification. What is that? Cleansed and set apart by and for God, just like this cup. It's a completed work. Yes, it all comes from him. Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Have you done that? Have you turned from darkness to light? So many Christians are still living in darkness. This morning, God says, turn from the darkness. Man, pursue the light. All that's good and pure and holy and righteous. From the dominion of Satan, that's, that's the world system. Not the world, but the world system. Are you with me? Man, it's great to enjoy the world, the mountains, the beach, all of the stuff that God has created for us to enjoy that we see the sunset and we say, wow, God, wow, that is awesome how you created the sun at just the right distance and the atmosphere with the clouds to create this beautiful tapestry. God did that. Like Michelangelo gets the glory for the paintings that he did, so God gets the glory for this whole world and universe. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Past tense. Redeemed. It's the penalty paid for sin. Are you redeemed? How are we redeemed? By our good works? No, by the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Folks, never let the enemy say, God doesn't love you. You're not good enough. You failed too many times. Because God loves you. He paid for you. No matter what you have done, man, he stretches out his arms to you and say, I paid for that. I love you. You're mine. To be redeemed, it has the idea of the kinsman redeemer. The idea of releasing someone and helping someone and paying the price for someone to set them free. It would be today if there was someone in prison that we had the ability to just pay a fee and they would be released. If we could do that, that's what, that's what redemption is. It's through the blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1.17, if you address the Father as one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed or bought with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For you have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20. Therefore glorify God in your body. Aren't you glad that we've been redeemed? You ever sing that song? I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know that song? I've been redeemed, yeah, by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know that song, right, Joe? Yeah, oh, we all know that song. I was going to sing it and do rounds, but we only have now three minutes left, so we better hurry. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now the God of peace who brought up the dead 
from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing. Folks, you cannot please God in your own strength. You will fail. You will get frustrated. What do you do? Run to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your strength. Lord, I can't love my spouse the way I'm supposed to. Give me strength. Lord, I can't be a good parent to my children. Give me strength. Lord, you don't know my parents. I can't be a good son or daughter to my parents. Give me strength. You know, God will give you strength to be able to do what you cannot. He will give you strength and peace and joy in the midst of it. So in our text, Exodus chapter 6, we read verses 4 through 9. How does it all apply and how are we going to sum it up? In verse 5, God told Moses, I have heard. The people of Israel were in slavery and bondage and they were groaning and they weren't even calling out to God. They were just complaining and being miserable. But then they heard the word from Moses and what did they do at first? They believed. But then Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, let my peop God's people go. And Pharaoh would not do it. So then the people did what? Disbelieved. Isn't it like us? We believe, then we don't believe. Is God going to do it? Maybe he's not. Our faith wavers. But the first step in salvation and when you find yourself far from God is the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the realization that God hears your cry for help. That's what Israel finally did. When you cry out for help, does God hear it? Absolutely. That conviction, that cry for help. Immediately, God hears your cry, and what does he do? Verse 5, the next thing in our text, I remember my covenant with you. Do we have a covenant with God? Yes, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, man, this cup, communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is the blood of, the, or 11, is the blood of the new covenant that's shed for you. So the minute you cry out for help or you repent to the Lord, I'm so wretched, I can't believe I did that. Lord, please forgive me. What does he do? Remembers the covenant. He remembers that you are frail, you will fall, but Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross of Calvary. Aren't you glad about that? He remembers his covenant. Then what does he do? Man, I'm going to bring you out. Hey, don't worry. You're, you don't have enough strength in yourself to stop doing that habitual thing you're doing. You cannot do it. You're a wretched sinner. But guess what? I'm going to bring you out. That's faith. Do you believe that God can deliver you? Okay, that's faith. That's what's in our text. That's the whole rest of the book of Exodus. God saves. We have faith in that. We don't save ourselves. Thank God. And the next thing in verse 6, this is all in order, in Exodus 6, 4 through 9, I will deliver you. How's he going to deliver them? Do you know he's going to take them through the Red Sea? It's not until they cross the Red Sea are they delivered. Remember, they're at the shore of the Red Sea. Now, they're already free from Egypt. They've, they've already left Egypt. But guess what? The army's pursuing them. Folks, the minute you decide to live fully dedicated to God, man, the enemy is going to pursue you, and you are going to find yourself at a test of faith. Just like the battle Pastor Chris talked about in Jehoshaphat this morning. Man, the battle belongs to who? The Lord. 
So the minute you decide to follow Christ, just like the children of Israel, the enemy is going to come after you. You're going to find yourself at the shore of the Red Sea saying, there's no way I am going to either drown or be killed. And God says, the battle belongs to me. The rest of the book of Exodus, and that's why I'm spending so much time on this, is about the sanctification of the children of Israel. Did they ever do anything? No, God did it all. I will deliver you. I'm going to wash you as you cross the Red Sea. That's the symbol of the washing and then set you in a new land. And boy, your enemies up pursuing you, they're going to drown in the Red Sea. Now you have the opportunity. You're shut free. You're washed. You're clean. The next step, interesting, I will redeem you. I'm going to pay the price for you. I am going to buy this cup, wash it. First step, right? Are you with me? I'm going to wash it, and now it's mine. Set apart for and by God. That's sanctification. Folks, it is a complete work. Yes, you are growing in living a godly life. No doubt we all are. Some of us are closer to living a life that reflects the character of God than others, right? Some of us have the fruit of the Holy Spirit constantly in our lives. Others, man, we lack it all the time. Are we still children of God? Absolutely. Are we still sanctified, set apart, fully dedicated to God? Yes, we are fully dedicated to God, even when we fail. I got to tell you, my son, he's failed a few times in his life. Did that ever make him not my son? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'll set you apart. Verse 7, he goes on, I'll receive you as my own. That's justification. What does it mean? I washed this cup. I bought it. I washed it. I bought it first. I washed it. Consecrated it. Set it apart. Looked at it and declared, this cup is clean. Do you know, that's a judicial term that God says to you right now this morning. I declare you clean. No matter how dirty you feel this morning, God says, I wash you. I bought you. I love you. It's nothing that you can do. I impute my righteousness. I set you as precious in my sight. And guess what? I declare you clean and pure. The rest of the book of Exodus is the foundational theological stress of the whole story is the sanctifying work of the Lord. We didn't get to it, but uh, in the Talmud, you know what the Talmud is? It's, uh, it's a Hebrew commentary on the Old Testament. They use that same word as marriage. What does it mean? To be set apart for exclusive use Spiritually, by and for God, in marriage, by and for your spouse. Does that make sense? It's sanctification. Is it complete? Are you growing in your commitment to your spouse? No, you're fully committed. The day you say, till death do you part and make your vows and put the ring on, you are fully sanctified. That's in the Talmud. The minute we place our faith in Jesus Christ, his blood washes us, guess what? We're fully committed to him and he's fully committed to us.
even though we fail. I'll receive you as my own. You are mine, declares the Lord. And this morning, I don't care how you failed God this past week. You're the Lord's. Sand restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love your word, I love the way it comforts me, strengthens and restores my soul.